0: If you have your Bibles, I hope you do. Please turn with me to the book of Matthew. We are going to be in Matthew chapter 8. And we're going to park in four verses, five verses to start off with, and then we'll expound on it. But we'll be in Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22. This time of year, I'm kind of perplexed about because I, I like the cold. And I know it's starting to warm up, and I don't like it. But there is one part of the season that I do love, is because it's about this time of year that we start to see all the hikers come through. And you know, I don't think we really take a hold of the opportunity that we have with all these hikers that come through our area. And I know all of you, if you drove through town, you've seen them. You've seen them in their backpacks. You've seen them going to the hotel because... They've been on the trail for seven days and they need a better night rest. Well, last year I picked up one hiker and me and him, he's an older gentleman, me and him were talking, yes, I pick up hikers, okay? Calm down, it's okay, because I know what most, of them are, what most of them are doing, but I picked him up and we were talking about, you know, just the whole experience of hiking the trail and he was trying to complete a portion that he did not get to complete some years ago because he started up and started coming down. Well, he twisted his ankle right outside of North Carolina, and he's always wanted to go back and finish that last portion. So I was asking him, I said, well, what's your biggest hurdle every morning? He said, the biggest hurdle every morning is it takes me about an hour of stretching just to get ready. And I thought, man, that's a little bit extreme. And then this year hits, and it takes me an hour worth of stretching just to get going in the morning, you know what I mean? I don't know about y'all, but the older I get, the more I realize that I need to stretch my body out before any strenuous activity, whether it's wiffle ball, playing with the boys, what have you. But what's really got to me is as I've got older, what used to be an easy thing has become an a very strenuous activity, like putting on your socks. Used to, and I sit there and I watch my boys and I marvel because they'll go, they'll grab socks and they're sitting there hopping on one foot, putting on a sock. I can't do that no more. I can't do that anymore at all. I have to sit down because when I put up one leg, bend down, pull my sock up, I pull myself off balance and I'm in the floor. So I have to sit down. Well, when I get bent over, I'm kind of like George Burns said, you know, you get to a point in age where you bend over to tie your shoes, and you make sure there's nothing else that you've got to do down there before you come back up, because it becomes extremely strenuous. Another thing that's become extremely, extremely strenuous is just getting off of the floor. If I lay down on the floor, and I know I've seen some of y'all on the floor, and I know exactly y'all are the same way, but if I get down on the floor, when I go to get up. I'm not sure if I'm actually up unless I've heard two to three things pop. You know what I mean? I've heard some of you get out of the pews and heard more pops than what it takes for me to get out of the floor. But that, all those pops and it's just like, what is going on with this? And then I started looking at it, the importance of stretching daily. And I had no idea that stretching on a daily basis is an extremely important thing for you to do no matter your age. Because stretching increases your blood flow. I had no idea that just simply stretching increased your blood flow. But I also didn't know that the more that you stretch, the more your blood flows, the more your brain is able to retain. Because a lot of the problem with memory is blood flow to the brain. So for those who can't remember your phone number, or I can't remember mine half the time, maybe try stretching. Not only that, but it improves your Posture. The simple act of stretching helps you to sit up straight because, let's just be honest, a lot of us can't sit up straight because it feels like there's a catch. But even beyond that, it boosts all brain and heart activity, again, because the blood flow increasing, but it also increases relaxation and gives you a better quality of sleep just by simply stretching. I had no idea. Not only that, it makes you more flexible. We all know that. It makes you more flexible. But one thing that I have really come to love about stretching over the last couple of weeks, because I'm trying to start getting back in shape and I have to start off with stretching, is stretching eliminates pain. You ever notice that? You can have a catch in your back, a twitch in your knee or something, and if you stretch it out just right, Get down on the floor, do sit-ups, do leg lifts, whatever. When you get done, that pain's gone. I don't understand it. But our bodies daily need to be stretched. It's for our good. It's for a a better life in general. But not only do our bodies need to be stretched, our faith needs to be stretched as well. This scripture that we're about to get into, Matthew chapter 8, verses 18 through 22, is some scripture of Jesus talking to a bunch of individuals. And the thing that he's talking to them about is stretching their faith. You know, Peter, Paul, and James all warned us in the epistles about being cautious with a laxed faith or being cautious with a faith that only goes so far, but doesn't go the full run. Like Paul to the Corinthians, he warned them, or the Thessalonians, he warned them about idleness in their faith. Let's just be real for a minute. All of us in our faith journey have got to a point to where we were strong, we were going good for a while, but there comes a point in time in our faith journey where it just seems, uh, you know what I mean? There's no excitement Sometimes there's no joy. Sometimes just picking up the Bible and opening it up and reading it becomes a task. Sometimes you go to bed at night realizing that, you know, you haven't even took a few minutes to pray to God. Sometimes, sometimes things like that take place, especially when our faith becomes idle. Peter warned us against stability in our faith or our devotion to God. Our devotion to God is something that needs to be stretched on a daily basis. It's something that we need to continue in and work in and stretch it out so that just like with our body, our faith can grow as we grow. James warned us against doubt, which boils down to trust. Our trust in God is something that needs to be stretched again on a daily basis. Because when all these things grow lax, our idleness, our devotion, and our trust, when all these things grow lax, our faith grows lax as well. These are all areas in our faith where stretching is necessary to grow. And Jesus warns of the same thing in these scriptures. And if you have your Bible, follow along with me, just as we read these five verses. Now when Jesus saw the crowd around him, he gave an order to depart to the other side of the sea. Then a scribe came and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus said to him, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Pray with me. Father, as we take a few minutes to dig into this scripture, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for the worship that we were able to be a part of this morning. Thank you for being able to be here this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the word that we have that can help stretch us in our faith and in our life. But Father, as we look at this scripture this morning, I pray that you would help us to look at it with fresh eyes. Like many other pieces of Scripture, Lord, we all have preconceived notions about what was being talked about here. But sometimes, Lord, we need to take a step back and try to look at this from the perspective of the individuals that first heard it. So, Father, this morning I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and mind to understand what it is that your word has for us this morning. This morning, Lord, I pray that you would stretch us. Stretch our faith so that we could grow in our trust and our devotion. And most importantly, Lord, in reaching out to the world that you've called us to reach to. Father, I want to thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to be here this morning. But I ask, Lord, that this morning be used for your purpose and your glory. It's in Jesus' name that I humbly pray. Amen. When Jesus comes to this point in Matthew chapter 8, Jesus has already started to have a lot of people start to follow him. A lot of people have seen the miracles. A lot of people have seen all the things that are taking place. And they have seen that Jesus is different from everybody else. So they've started following him in a lot of places one of the people that come up to him is a scribe. And the scribe says these words to him. He says, Jesus, teacher, I will follow you wherever you will go. Now, before we really get into what Jesus said on this, I want you to understand who's saying this. Because If we don't understand who's saying this, we can misinterpret what Jesus is saying by this next response. You got to understand that a scribe were Pharisees. They were part of the Sanhedrin and council. They were the people who taught. They were the people who counseled. They were the people who copied down the law. They did it very detailed. They made sure that they didn't miss one little jot or tittle. That's where we got that phrase from a couple of weeks ago. They made sure that they did it so precisely, so accurately, that anyone that got a copy of this would know that it was done to the fullest detail and was reliable. There were also a group of people who had followers. They were teachers. They were people who taught in their homes. A lot of people think that all teaching took place in the tabernacle or in the synagogues. But that's not true. Paul, when he was growing up, when he was Saul, he was under the teachings of a man by the name of, who knows it? Yeah, say it again, Tommy, say it loud. (laughs) It's one of those names that trip you up. Some people say Gamelia, some people say Gamilla, whatever. But he was under the teachings of this man who was a very renowned teacher and scribe. He was one who took time to pour into other people's lives. And the place that they did this was their home. Like I said, their home was often used as their classrooms, their studies, and their offices. This is where they would retreat to go do their work. They would use their home as an instrument for expanding what they were trying to teach to others, but also their homes were a place of comfort for them. In the same way, our homes can be the same thing. Through the pandemic, a lot of us learned to use our home as an office. And I'm thankful that we don't do that no more because it made things very muddy about when the clock went on and when it went off. But we all treat our homes kind of like a sanctuary. Not a sanctuary like this that we're in right now. Like a sanctuary, a safe place a haven for us to go to, a retreat for us to go into and to escape from everything that has gone on around us. The scribes of, these, of this day would do the same. They would use their homes, but they would also retreat to their homes. So understand what Jesus is saying when he says this next tidbit. Because he says this, the foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. Did Jesus have a house? How do we know that? Hmm. No, he said he had nowhere to lay his head. Did Jesus have a house? We just assume no, Jesus did not have a house. Did Jesus have a mother? Yes. Did Jesus' mother live homelessly? No. Where was Jesus? Where was where would have Jesus' house been if he had a house? Nazareth. Nazarene. He was a Nazarene. That's where he grew up. We put a lot of things into this that are not necessarily there. We read a snippet of this, and I talked about this this morning in Sunday school. We read a snippet of this, and we think that this is every single detail there. Understand that the book of Matthew is a period of about 33 years. From Jesus' birth to his ascension. It is a very broad time frame that we're looking at. And no, I'm not saying that Jesus did have a house. I'm not saying that Jesus didn't have a house. But all of us automatically assume that Jesus had no home. But we don't know that for sure. Because that's just things that have been added into it. Just like some people will look at this scripture and say, Well, Jesus said that we shouldn't have homes. Believe it or not. This is a real thing that gets preached from this scripture. We should surrender everything, okay? Every single thing we have, we should surrender it. We should sell it, we should give it away, and we should have nothing here on this earth. Do you believe that? Do you know how many people do believe this though? Do you know how many people will give Thousands upon thousands of dollars to people who profess to be preachers, people who profess to be apostles, people who profess to be prophets, because they preach this scripture telling everybody else that they should be poor when they have two jets, not a 500 square foot mansion. I know I said that two weeks ago 500,000 square foot mansion. But they will tell all these people that you need to do this by misconstruing this scripture for what it is really saying. He never says, I do not have a home. He says, I have nowhere to lay my head. And when we lay down our head, it is a place of comfort. For the scribes, understand this. For the scribes, their life was a life of comfort. Their life was one of wealth. Their life was one of routine. Their life was one that they knew exactly everything that was gonna be done during the day, and they knew who they were gonna be teaching or writing to or counseling that day. They knew it all in detail. But one thing that they didn't have that Jesus had was while these people waited on the people to come to them, Jesus was busy about going to the people. Jesus left his heavenly home in a pursuit for all that were lost, for all that would come to him. And Jesus is trying to bring a parallel to this scribe that is hard for him to understand. It's not about losing your home. It's not about selling everything you have. But it is about losing what is comfortable. You see, we get in these ruts, these spiritual ruts. And these spiritual ruts are nothing more than when we get comfortable and lax with the way we do things. You know what I mean? How many have been there? You've got your own little routines that you are so in tune with that if one of these routines were to come undone, it ruins your whole day. This is the area to which we as believers need to be stretched in because we've got our comforts that we hold to. Our home Our home is one of those comforts. And I'm not saying anything against your home. But our home is one of those comforts. It's one of those comforts to where we retreat. It's one of those comforts to where we go when things are bad. It's that sanctuary to where we can shut out the rest of the world and we focus on us and us only. You know, back in the 50s, a thing took place that completely revolutionized the world. That thing is something that most of us have, but it is something that further isolated us more than anything else in the world. You know what that is? Nope. The garage. The garage. The house for your car further isolated us more than anything else in the world. We all like to think it was the TV, but it wasn't. And I know some of you like, now how is that possible? So when my wife drives up to my house, she drives up, she pushes a button, she goes into the garage, and then she pushes a button again, shutting the door, completely isolating herself to anything that is out there. I don't have a side of the garage because my lawnmower is in there. But at the same time, when this happened, neighbors stopped knowing one another. When this happened, the opportunity for our homes to be an extension of the gospel really got cut down. Let's just be real for a second. How many of you can say that you know every one of your neighbors within a quarter mile radius? Raise your hand if you do. I want y'all to move up with me up next to the campground because I don't know everybody. There's a bunch of people down there. And it's funny because I went down to the campground this week and I was asking one of them, I said, do you know everybody in here? I said, no, that's impossible. How could you honestly know everybody? But that is one thing that our homes should be used for that we no longer use our homes for. Our homes should be used as an extension for the gospel to take place in our area. But you know what? My home being used for the sake of the gospel, that's not exactly comfortable, is it? Because that means people are going to come into my sanctuary. That means that people are going to come into my realm. And that means that all comfort that I have, the comfort of a hole that a fox has, or the comfort of a nest that a bird has, all of that comfort goes out the window. When we started doing small groups, I took my small group home. And I wanna tell you something, it's been one of the biggest blessings, not only to my home, but also to my boys. Cause every Sunday, my boys are excited about this. Small group is coming to the house. What are we eating? What other kids are coming to play? Can we play, place, or switch? But they get excited about it. And I'm going to be honest with you. It gets chaotic because we'll have four other kids in our house while my small group's trying to meet in our dining room. And it gets chaotic, doesn't it, Jennifer? And sometimes it gets on my nerves that my kids are running amok in the house because they're doing a good job of it. But at the same time, I love those moments when they will come in and they'll go up to their mama and lean up against her and just listen to the conversation that's taken place in our homes. With me and the other people in our small group, with Daryl and Misty, your home is a sanctuary. Sanctuary. But your home should always be used as an extension for the gospel no matter what's going on. When you have people over, how are you using your home for an extension for the gospel? For your neighborhood, how are you using your home as an extension for the gospel? Because all this time, these scribes have been using their homes for an extension of the law for what they knew. And Jesus is telling them, now your comfort is gone. i got to give the scribes credit, though, because they use their home. They use their home for what they thought is right. How are we using our homes? This is not about getting rid of your house, because a poverty gospel is just as dangerous as a prosperity gospel. This is about how are you using what you have and are you comfortable with what you have because if you're comfortable with it there's a good chance that you're not being stretched by it you know if this was all about Peter or if this was all about getting rid of your homes look up here to verse 14 in the same section with me listen what it says in verse 14 It says when Jesus came into Peter's home okay if this was about getting rid of your home, why didn't he say something to Peter first? Why didn't he go into Peter's home and say, you need to get rid of this. You need to get rid of every single bit of this. If you're going to follow me, you need to get rid of this. But that is not what was taking place. Jesus is telling people, get uncomfortable. The place where you lay your head, the place where you rest, the place where you're comfortable can be a dangerous place if it causes you not to stretch your faith to be obedient to what he's called you to do. And if your faith is idle in comfort, I question myself when my faith comes out on my comfort if my obedience is radically to him. How is your obedience to him? The next person we see is we see the one that I call the lip service saint. Notice there it says that one of the disciples, it doesn't say who was the disciples, but it says one of the disciples came up to him and said, Lord, permit me first to go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. That is pretty cold, isn't it? I mean, if we look at this from just what it says, we look at this, we say, that is a pretty cold statement. Is Jesus really telling us to neglect our families? Because if we read it in a wrong tone, that's what this scripture says. Is Jesus telling us to neglect our families? What bothers me is I've seen pastors Creatures, people professing to be Christ followers, use this verse as a crutch for them not being present at home. Let me show you another illustration of this. Go back up there to to chapter 8, verses 14. When Jesus came into Peter's home, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick in the bed with a fever. Have any of y'all ever wondered this question? Why is Peter's mother-in-law in his house? Anybody wondered that? Extended family. Extended family, but culturally wrong. Who was supposed, in cultural time, who was supposed to take care of the parents? The oldest what? Oldest son. The oldest son was supposed to take care of the parents. Matter of fact, the oldest son is the one that got most of the inheritance. About every bit of it went to the oldest son. The home, the real estate, the cattle, most of it went to the oldest son. Why? Because the oldest son was responsible to take care of his parents as they age. This was cultural context of this time. But when we read this, we see that Peter's mother-in-law is at his home and not his brother-in-law's. And I know, we don't know if he had a brother-in-law. He may not have had a brother-in-law. We don't know what could have been the reason behind this. But don't miss this. Peter's mother-in-law is at his home and she is sick. So if Peter's mother-in-law is at his home, that means that Peter and his family is taking care of her. So if we were supposed to abandon our families, why was Peter not commanded to abandon his? Why was Peter not commanded to abandon his home? Let me ask you this. Why did Jesus lay it on John to take care of his mother when he was on the cross? You ever thought about that? He looks at her and says, woman, behold your son. Son, behold your mother. In that moment, John takes care of Jesus' mother. You see, this isn't about neglecting your family. Matter of fact, men, listen to me. If you neglect your family, we are told in Timothy that those who neglect their family are worse than an unbeliever. I don't know what's worse than an unbeliever. I try to line that up. But I really do not know what is worse than an unbeliever. But listen to me, man. It is our God-given responsibility to take care of our families. It is our God-given responsibility to take care of our children, to take care of our spouse, and even at some point in time to take care of our mothers and our fathers. Why? Because this is the way that God structured it. This is the way that God intuned it, and when we fall out of line with this, I don't care what you use as a crutch. Well, I'm doing this because I'm doing it for the gospel. If you're neglecting your family for the sake of the gospel, you're a liar. You're a liar because God never called you to run out on your family. God never calls anybody to run out on his family. God calls men to stand up and to take care of their family. But listen to what he says. He says, first, let me go bury my dad. First thing that comes to our mind is we automatically think that, okay, dad just died. This guy's asking for permission to go bury his dad. Does it say that his dad just died? Mm -mm. No, it doesn't. And matter of fact, let's just say, and I'm trying not to read into this too much, let's just say that this is the oldest son that just said, let me go bury my dad. (laughs) What would he have got after his dad died? Everything. He'd have got it all. He would have got every single bit of it. Which makes me wonder this. If he would have got all of that, do you think he would have went back and did what he told Jesus? I mean, how many of us have done it before? Jesus, if you will do this for me, I will serve you any way you want me to serve you. How many have said that? It's all right. You can be, you can be honest. It's a very dangerous thing to say. But at the same time, guys, listen to me on this. The problem with what this guy was saying is it was just lip service. When we commit our lives to following Christ, we are committing us, ourselves, to die to ourselves and allow Christ to live in us. What this guy was chasing was exactly what Tommy sung about a while ago. This guy was chasing the worldly pleasures of what would come after his father passed away the inheritance that would come. And let's be honest, even Jerry said it last week, sin feels good. Sin is pleasurable for a season. Scripture even says that. But it leads to destruction. When this guy is saying this to Jesus, all he's given Jesus is nothing more than lip service. I'll follow you, Jesus. First, let me go bury my dad. First, let me go take care of this. First, Lord, let me live a little bit of my life. First, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you want me to go. But first, allow me to make it big in the business world. And then when I retire, I will serve you. Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. But first, allow me to go to college. And once I get done with college, I will serve you wherever I go. You see, the list can go on and on and on. What Jesus is saying here is that a commitment to follow him has precedence over any other commitment. That's not saying you neglect your other commitments. It's just saying put it in line with what needs to happen. As we finish up, I want to read this. Verse 23, it says, When he got into the boat, the disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being covered with the waves. But Jesus himself was asleep. And they came to him and woke him up, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? You men of little faith. He got up. He rebuked the winds and the sea. And it became perfectly calm. The men were amazed and said, What kind of man is this? What kind of man is this that even the winds and the seas obey him? You ever thought about this? In this whole piece of scripture right here, the most obedient things brought up in all of this scripture are the wind and the sea. Why is that? Why is it that the wind and the sea are the most obedient things in this scripture? Well, it's the same reason that I'm not the most obedient thing all the time. Because a lot of times, my faith grows idle. A lot of times, my faith grows idle because I'm trusting in what's comfortable to me. A lot of time, my faith... A lot of time, my faith has an issue with trust. Let's just be real. There's times where we always have these moments of God, I know you got this, but I don't think I can do this. But there's also those moments to where it's hard for us to be 100% obedient to him because we know it's going to cost us something. We know that being 100% obedient to Christ can cost us our family. We know that being 100%, and I'm not talking about cost our family because we neglect them. I'm talking about family members shunning you because of what you profess. It can cost you your job nowadays. I never thought we'd live in a time that I've seen it today to where there are becoming more More lawsuits being brought up because people being fired because of their faith. I never thought we'd see a time to where a bakery would be sued because they refused to make a cake. But we're here. And it's during these times when our faith is going to be challenged, we've got to ask ourselves this. Are we going to be like the waves? Are we going to be like the sea and are we going to be like the wind? Are we going to be like the disciples? The gentleman who wanted to bury his father and the scribe. Because while nature was obedient to God, the others were not. Let's pray. Father, this morning, this is a challenging scripture for me. It's a challenging scripture for all of us. And I just pray, God, that you would move in us in a way that can only be described as you. Father, on a daily basis, I need to be challenged. and I'm thankful for how you challenge me. But I also ask you, Lord, please, 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 use us. Use us as your obedient instruments for the gospel to go out over all the world father help our faith not to be idle help our devotion to be true and help our, str- our trust to be strong because father there are coming days when our faith will grow lax. father help us to be obedient to what you've called us It's in your precious name I pray, amen.